Hello and welcome to the Psychomedia Podcast. I am Timothy Swan. And I am Ben Fell, and together we hope to discuss the funny side of psychology. You're sounding a bit pessimistic and depressed, Ben. It's not like anything could possibly go wrong. It's not like anything has and continues to possibly go wrong. <laughs> or that I'm ill, or that I would much rather be playing, uh, um, doing work, working, working. <laughs> oh, what I'd I, d- doing. I didn't know that your supervisor listened to this podcast. Hello to everyone uh, at my really, job. <laughs> I really hope he doesn't. <laughs> But if he does, would you like to come on as a guest? Oh, yeah. We've got to get some guests on. I keep we forgetting do. to ask. I've got, a, yes. I've got a, quite yes. a with, with powerful, powerful That's right, that wasn't a real introduction. It's Christmas time. Ben is probably jet-lacted, but in order to get this done in advance so that I'll have time to wrap my presents, I'm putting together another Franken podcast. Yes, two in a row. We had The Bride last week. It's The Sun this week. Uh, The Sun of Frankenstein. The Sun of Franken podcast. I'll be going through the series as we go along, although I don't have any organs or offal or otherwise to make any more after this episode. Well... Probably not. I've certainly used up all the studies, and you guys do listen for the studies, right? You're here to learn, aren't you? It's all very positive and nice. Uh, So I'm not going to do any of my own jokes. Uh, I'm just going to pull in some kind of cavalcade of the bits that I cut out because they might have been funny or they might have been interesting but they didn't necessarily fit in the show as a whole and you can have a psychedelic experience which is probably just as random as if me and ben had done it live but maybe with a little less focus uh so just imagine me and ben being a bit distracted uh for the rest of the show have fun have a very merry christmas uh if you are like ben do so uh gluttonously if you're like me do so uh appropriately solemnly but with also a lot of joy etc the rest of it um otherwise i don't think there's anything more to say apart from enjoy the show and fittingly there is a long and not especially funny discussion of uh, religious prejudice uh to provide the bulk of the show um in which me and ben put every card on every table we can possibly imagine uh they're not christmas cards uh they're not poker part cards they're id cards i suppose we talk about our identity how we relate to one another. Uh, he doesn't know I'm doing this, so this bit will be quite a surprise to him uh, when he listens back to it. Uh, I'll try not to put any freaky echo effects on any of the rest of the show. Uh, and I'll speak to you guys in the new year, 2012, Olympic year. Bye. We may have to actually cut some of the feedback and put it into a franken feedback Uh, (laughs) special so uh, oh that's interesting i i think i've already i guess i've just made a habit of listening to podcasts i've done with my family especially when i've been guesting on overthinking it we'll you know listen to it at dinner we listen to a lot of podcasts at dinner but mostly friday night comedy from bbc yeah um so yeah, I literally went downstairs this morning and my mum's left me a note, she's gone to work, uh, that just says, I've never seen Star Wars, is on tonight at 6.30. I have no <laughs> idea why, what she wants me to do about that, whether we're supposed to listen to it or whether she's just letting me know. Um, I was just like, okay, that, thanks. Thanks, mum. Not like, not like, Tim, do some chores while I'm out. <laughs> Tim, there is a radio show on Radio 4 that we want to listen to, even though I'll be back by the time it is on. Um, so okay. jealous. I've got a ton of stuff from uh, James and the Monkey on My Back crew. Uh, He says, uh, I have been catching up with uh, Tim and Dave's excellent new podcast, although I'm worried by the verbatim Momcast reading. Less death, though, this week. Uh, And then on the actual show, he said, I learned that 1 to 10 is wrong on an excellent podcast called Timothy Swan's Psychomedia. That's the podcast that Timothy Swan and his mate Dave does. Uh, yeah he's he's running with this yeah i you don't mind being I figured called, he would i figured being he would dave for the rest of what, your life what's his name again uh james okay bob <laughs> well no if you're gonna call him anything um you should uh, call him ray because he's basically the same as ray winston okay bob <laughs> he's not gonna appreciate me calling <laughs> him. It's just such a stereotype he sounds a bit like ray winston uh especially when oh, slow your monster <laughs> exactly that's why you should just Neither accept that dave. he's calling you dave because <laughs> it won't end up well for you if you disagree too much um that's fine and uh, they said that one to ten is a wrong metric 
Why? Oh, I don't Freuding know. I was making some bread at the time. <laughs> Timothy, does it make you happy that you're doing such good? You're probably doing a really good job of explaining these things, but some of your listeners are paying so little attention. Well, some of his listeners might be a bit thick. I'm really enjoying it. It's a really good podcast. It is a really good podcast. I want to know why, though. Well, because it's uneven. There's no centre. Yeah, no, actually, I think that's right. It needs to be zero to ten. We do questionnaires sometimes, and you don't have four. See, I was listening. I can't listen to it because my wife is a psychology person. I just find it. I listen to it at the weekend when I'm doing baking and stuff, and I really enjoy it. That conversation makes a lot more sense when there's the three people actually doing it. Uh, I think, and then, um, that, I mean, that was cool, actually. Uh, I, I like the idea that we're explaining stuff that people get the key point of, which is like one to ten is not ideal. Yeah. But then, you know, the, the, the explanations for these things are kind of like niggly and, and not as interesting as the facts themselves. And it is great to have that sort of cocktail party moment where someone says, oh, on a scale of one to ten, you go like, well, actually, it should be zero <laughs> to ten. And then they're like, oh, why is that? And you're like, it just it like, yeah. Well, because it has because it has no center. He remembers later. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but the, he, the principle uh, of remembering the thing, but not the why is is something we should encourage so we should talk slightly quieter when we're explaining things well yes he 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 uh was using that applying that to rate a comic book so i like the fact that we've got cross application i'll come to that in later because there's still more few yeah and then he later said on twitter mm. i'm listening to psychometer episode five i'd like to tell tim how much i enjoy dave and the reason i can't remember his name is that i spent too much of my youth trying to recruit certain events from the film he mentions in that particular episode hashtag fear and loathing um, and then someone else who's also from the Monkey on My Back crew uh, called George Beedham. He does an excellent comic called uh, The Mighty Jambo, which is about a British superhero who can control jam. Um, it's really funny. You should look it up. Uh, <laughs> said, oh, you got I a shall. pool cue stock up your nose whilst at college? Uh, hashtag jokes from stuff in the first episode. And then James is like, I might have. My memory is hazy. <laughs> so there's people out there having you know, jokey conversations based on the stuff we've done. But he says, finally, good. Seriously, it's becoming one of my favourite weekly pods. You are a very good presenting duo. Wow. So that's good. Thinking of a co- High praise. podcast presenting duos, Fell Swan. Which is like the, the, the evil creature from Lord of the Rings that the Witch King rides, except it's it's a swan rather than a dragon. <laughs> Nerd jokes. For- that, that, that implies that... Actually, no, you're the you're just an adjective. You're an intangible concept. I thought it would mean that you were writing yeah, me. Tim, you don't, seems like an, you don't need to remind me that I'm an intangible concept, given that people have difficulty remembering the <laughs> name. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, well, it's better, better. You're an intangible concept. This kind of applies to me. Then, you know, you ride on my back because you'll just I'll just accidentally drop you off. You probably would. You'd be a really bad mount. Anyway. <laughs> so i've heard but uh... <laughs> um okay so um sorry doesn't that mean she had broca's aphasia uh n- no okay i don't think so i mean i think it's to do more with like severe profound learning difficulty okay fair enough it's just like understanding everything you say and only having two or three words is like classic broca's aphasia yeah. Um, but well, like, actually, example, possibly not. But we'll learn about that later in this podcast. Yeah, yeah, Spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, oh! Did I tell you about the other thing? Actually, the other thing uh, that um, our good uh, friend uh, Sadie texted me saying, uh, um, "My new lecturer sounds exactly like you, and it's really weird." I'm like, oh, uh, that's interesting. It's always interesting to know that there's another one of me out there. <laughs> He's like, yeah, it's really weird because he's a lecturer in time travel. I'm like, oh, right, okay. In that case, which name am I using on this part of the chronology? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. I've already used that uh, joke this week in the recorded medium somewhere else, but (laughs) I did think it was kind of funny. We can play Tim on podcast Snap. Because then I implied that uh, I was Doctor Who, and then I accidentally also implied that she was River Song, and things got really weird really quickly. Yeah, that, that would be quite weird. Actually, have you seen the latest ones of those are ones that turn up on blogs. We haven't had one on Psychomedia yet, but I've had one on my uh, cluster fiction thing that I've been contributing to. It says, oh, really? oh, you know, this, you know, this piece of writing is really fantastic. I found it really helpful. You know, uh, come and help me with my thing on X site. And then you click it and it's like illicit handbags. No. And you're like, oh, you fooled me. You flattered me. <laughs> my one weakness, my gigantic ego. <laughs> Yes. In, also bullets. <laughs> well, one has been tested more obviously than the other. Uh, yeah, so the final bit of feedback is uh, Franz Van Bellen. Oh, 
good Dutchish kind of friend uh, who uh, points out that uh, if Gershwin, the music kind of compiling bot, was uh, really the first kind of music understanding robot, does that mean that Rhapsody in Blue is some kind of horrible work of the machine intelligence? Uh, <laughs> because he has funnily conflated George Gershwin with Gershwin the robot. Uh. Um, so that look out for Robo Zombie George Gershwin. He's <laughs> after your lyrics. I see. No, serious question. Um, you said you were working very hard this week and what the world come to. But before we address that issue, um, do you reckon there's psychologists whose presence in a paper improves its value? You know, some people, if it's just like so-and-so, so-and-so, yeah so and so so and so vs ramachandran plus five percent it's interesting because it, it it's kind of a bit like you you do have some articles which just have ridiculous numbers of authors and you do feel that some of the ones in the middle were just sort of thrown in there because they happened to be standing around at the time they were just passing the corridor when the article was being written well yeah um i think the the problem is that the like superstar authors tend to be like the primary authors or the the final authors. That's usually where you look in article titles. The first author, uh, someone uh, one of my tutors was telling me, the guy who comes first in the list is usually the guy who did all the work, and the one who comes last in the list is usually the guy who did none of the work but who owns the lab. Yeah. Um, so which is very similar to to uh, film, you know, the billing. But it's the people who are also starring, but who add a lot of quality and that guest starring. You don't get that in academic papers as much, as far as I know. Not so much. Books, definitely, though. Uh, like, book, academic books, I mean. You get, oh, really? like, superstars in to come write, uh, come write me a chapter on whatever the hell you like kind of thing. Yeah, or a nice introduction can definitely boost the value of a book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh... Question answered. Uh, yeah, we presumably actually did that in a lecture with uh, Ig we Nobel did. Prize winner Charles Spence. <laughs> we did indeed. Uh, shall we just briefly say, Professor Spence won the Ig Nobel Prize for discovering that crisps taste better when the crunch is amplified back to you. <laughs> so if you eat a crisp by a microphone that feeds back into your headphones, but with a volume increase, they, t- they taste crunchier and more delicious. Other accolades of Charles Spence involve having a, a natty taste in red corduroy trousers and not being particularly good at producing uh, meaningful lecture notes, which we were complaining about earlier. Um, <laughs> Charles Spence, if you're listening, I hope we've given a balanced view of uh, your academic and life achievements thus far. <laughs> I actually felt quite defensive of him when he got the Nobel Prize, uh, really? because basically what it's showing is this mo- his big thing, is multimodal sensory thing, and it's kind of the Volschläger business, really. Yeah. person to teach it. That different parts of your brain all feed together into a conscious experience, and so exactly. you can affect taste with, with hearing, which is kind yeah. of amazing. It's just a funny way of learning about it. In that case, you're tasting with the mind's ear. Oh, yeah. Hearing with the minds. Even I'm not that clumsy. No, okay. Food sometimes goes in, onto the nose, barely <laughs> onto the ear. <laughs> so, I mean, I was I was about a particularly Scottish named professor of yours who <laughs> there maybe was... cared a bit more about money than knowledge. Just a tad. Um, <laughs> but uh, he taught like personality measures and individual differences. So we don't we don't talk about him. Um, but most interesting thing was I've done is listen to a Radio 4 show. Actually, I've listened to a lot of Radio 4 shows mm. since I discovered a program that can download from iPlayer. Uh, that was a bad idea. I resisted it for so long. Um, but yeah, I listened to a show uh, that's still on uh, the iPlayer, uh, so I'll put a link in the show notes, called Mind Myths, which attempts to do what we do, but with a bigger budget and with a terrible producer and sound editor. So I read about actually, it. the only difference is the larger budget. Oh, zing! Oh, oh! I'll tell you what: the dubstep versions of <laughs> our little jingles were much less obnoxious than the use of sound and music uh, in this one. I read about it in the Observer, and it's like this is a great program with a great presenter, but the sound is bad. And I was like, ah, oh, that's such a radio critic thing to say. You know, you know, sometimes critics say things that you wouldn't notice. And I listened. I was like, oh no, they're right. Anyone would be annoyed listening to this. They busted the myths of that you only use ten percent of your brain. Uh, People are madder when the moon is out. Uh, the left and right brains represent different personality types. 
and there was one more. Oh, playing Mozart makes babies cleverer. Oh yes. And they went and looked back at the original research and tried to look at. So it was a it was a bit like us, but uh, in a half an hour slot and with no jokes. So. Uh, if you're interested in our show, go and listen to that. Uh, and if you want to uh, at Claudia Hammond on uh, Twitter and uh, tell her how much she should listen to Psychomedia, then <laughs> I'm not going to stand in, in your way. In her next program. Oh, imagine if we were on Radio 4, Ben. Imagine. just We'd have to do so much more editing, but we could pay a guy to do it. <laughs> we could... But no, we would have to generate much swifter content. We could, we could pay Chris to do it. Yeah, uh, I don't know if he does any Radio uh, 4 shows yet, mm. um, but I'm sure he has time on his hands. We'd probably, we'd probably be contractually obliged to edit in his like chuckling laughter in the back. <laughs> it's such a fan favourite. Well, the thing is, you get the producer laughing on this show. Yes, and also talking. Yeah, I know it's controversial to introduce the producer, but I think it's a move that's worked. I think if well. we're going to get end up on Radio Four, then we need to up the professionalism in that regard. So, um, in future podcasts, I think you should just be deadly silent the entire time. Okay, I will do my best to not laugh at your jokes. Oh no, I laugh. So basically, it's fine. like every. <laughs> it's just the speaking that's the issue. Oh really? <laughs> Come on, I'm a content generator. <laughs> you can't have consistently entertaining banter without two people. Or. Okay, I suppose you can, but it's weird. Yes, as the webcomic Garfield minus Garfield has proved. Ooh, um, yeah. We've turned into the open university, Tim. Ooh, <laughs> ooh, dreadful. does this mean we can get paid? And also have TV adverts? And be on BBC uh, at like 2am? All of those things would be awesome. Yeah, Particularly the first and last. What was the middle one? I can't remember. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah, I think there's a panel show based on Yeah, that. I think you might be right. Um, anyway. The unbelievable truth on Radio Four. Don't listen to that. Listen to us. <laughs> exactly. Um, that is true. Anyway. I had uh, me and Christina. Uh, oops, real dun, name. Dun, Never mind. Dun! Uh, me and Bleep had uh, a very nice uh, carrot cake that we constructed together, and it's amazing and delicious. Her and her housemates do make the most amazing cakes sometimes. So she probably they has do. some pretty epic cake skills. They once made me a. She's got to uh, actually her. Uh, she, Go ahead. Okay. I was wondering whether you'd been cut off or whether you were just being polite. The two are uh, so similar. Um, <laughs> she and her housemates are, or uh, as they're collectively known, one single entity um, <laughs> made me a cake of Jabba the Hutt. It was amazing. It was, I don't even know how you start to think about that. Layers of cake cut into the shape and then iced so it looked like Jabba the Hutt. And it tasted delicious and it looked amazing. Um <laughs> she she lives with uh, she what used to live with uh, two other girls and those are the the single entity that is her and her housemates that make the amazing cakes this year they're living with a new uh, person as well who is a boy and uh, bless his little cotton socks he tried to make his first cake this week um and it was a banana cake and it it, it is the most shriveled and sad looking <laughs> banana cake you have ever seen. He showed it to me the other day. It was a like, shriveled banana cake. I'm cake? just thinking of Freud I, now. Yeah, exactly. And it was it was so sad. Oh, that is sad. Is he the one uh, that we uh, uh, dubbed? Yeah, at least he's trying. Anyway, we dubbed we'll him an back. honorary psychologist once. <laughs> we did with a sword and everything. A sword, and then we crowned him with a neuron. And then a. a, a a small cuddly neuron. <laughs> yeah, whose was it? Do you remember which one it is? Because me and Ben and our two female counterparts, uh, who might appear on this show if we can persuade them one day, um, each <laughs> have are, a cuddly like neuron. What's your one they... called? Is your one called Buckley? Yeah, mine's Buckley. And then one of the other ones is called... Uh... It isn't the podcast. I have a cuddly toy named after someone who listens to the podcast. <laughs> oh, well, um, never mind. It was I, I only cause... one of the other ones was called Bryon. Was it? Could be. Because it's like a brain, spiny. but she's dyslexic, so it's like okay. Brian. And then... what was One was called Spiny. Oh, Spiny, and then mine is called Ramachandran, uh, which I'll come to later. Do you get the feeling that we're not talking about the most important thing we've been doing this week? <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, the, the fact about that thing is that I haven't been doing it, so I'm trying to put it off as long as possible by saying... <laughs> Oh, that was mean. I apologise. <laughs> um, yeah, and that was me being chewy. Um, 
Uh, yeah. They've let, got to add the Wookiee like play the old Republic. <laughs> You've missed out the night times, Ben. Seriously, yes, you the night times which will be spent variously in with my parents. And oh no, I could play it tomorrow. I could play it tomorrow night. See, I'm not a fool. Wow, I c- uh, I could stay up until stupid o'clock in the morning playing it tomorrow if, night. If if that's what decided it for me. Mm. The Mirror Allen had a better racial ability than the Mirror Luca. Mirror Luca was like, ooh, sense enemy levels. And the Mirror Allen was like, a powerful form of meditation. I, I uh, was tempted when I was deeply unemployed to apply for a job as an escort because they kept coming up despite the fact that my feed from Fish for Jobs, one of the least accurate job sites, was for support worker, care assistant, psychologist. And I would just... They actually... I would get, like, every other week, I would get um, either, like, debt collector or um, escort. <laughs> and I thought about trying for one of the escort ones just to see how they responded to my CV <laughs> and my face. I'm not sure which one would be the deal breaker. Uh, yeah, that is, that is a tricky question. I don't want to show, I don't want to really the issue mortally if you escort agents. <laughs> I'm, I'm not necessarily good with new people i get tempted to try and be a bit kind of over the top with them and uh doesn't some people might like that <laughs> i would have thought your like chronic problems with being physically touched would be more of an issue oh it means i would make an excellent like pole dancer within like any of the other things because you're not allowed to touch a pole dancer so they'd really know because as soon as they touch me i would really react strongly they wouldn't be able to get away with nothing Tim, I'm pre- we're going to cut out if it goes in the podcast. Because <laughs> uh, it, I, I, honestly, you know, I thought we'd just like have some minor chit chat about America. The concerns was that it was going to be a little basis for that people not end up discussing future career old dancer. <laughs> hey, where the show goes, it goes. <laughs> <laughs> Go with the flow. Yeah. And we learned that last week. Yes, we did. And now we're in this flow state, action and awareness have merged, and this is what we're talking about. So, uh, said Mahi, he's the one you have to blame. I can still say it without it spelled out in front of me. I'm so proud. I, I can't. Um. <laughs> Actually, yeah, he released a pretty horrible book this week. Uh, oh, really? Uh, so don't laugh at the thing I'm about to say, because your instant response will be humour. He mm. said that he wished that the brain of Josie Long would be transmitted into a monkey... And then that monkey would be raped by a monkey that was also Hitler. And it's just like... I don't think my instant reaction was humour. Okay, good. But, you know, it's a ridiculous scenario. But then it's also inciting sexual violence against, you know, someone not that good in that sense. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Oh, I'm Sorry, I lowered the Wait, tone of kind the of... there. Well, this, this, it's kind of been the, the theme of this podcast, actually. We've sort of bounced wildly back and forth between some quite funny bits and some sort of sobering, depressing, and in that case, deeply disturbing. Yeah, sorry, my dark side is coming through again. Maybe we should cut the Frankie Boyle bit. Oh, uh, okay. So as not to give him, you know... The oxygen like... of publicity. Exactly. But then we can put it in, in a, like, when the fuss <laughs> died down. <laughs> There's the the horrible misshapen head on the Frank next Franken podcast. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Okay, okay, okay. Back to the Vernica. Um, what do yeah, you think? I mean, I think that's actually that's fine. I mean, don't be too much on the process. Don't reveal too much of the mission, <laughs> uh, and suggest that we have no idea how to plan an episode. <laughs> okay, we kind of need to record an outro. Oh, sorry. Um, I, I have one for next week, but not for this week. Uh, is there anything beautiful related? <laughs> uh, I'm not quite sure what. Something. Uh, actually, here we go. We could do something about phone hacking. Because you've got a crackly connection, you can pretend to leave like some incriminating voicemail, and then I can be a diabolical private detective. <laughs> You're going to have to write it. Oh, okay, <laughs> give me a second. Stay on the line. Actually, no, I'll hang up and call you back so that the thing can encode in case anything stupid happens. I'll call you back in two minutes when I've written it. All okay. right. Yes. <laughs> and we're out. Oh, that was good. That bit at the end. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. <laughs> that was so funny. <laughs> uh 
the urge to like extend that into a proper like short story. <laughs> <laughs> like men cantering across a, a, a wasteland on yaks wielding like steam like post-apocalyptic fencing foils yeah uh, well you know the TMS gun super weapon yeah mad Max who was a there's got to be a psychologist called Max yeah <laughs> well it wouldn't be mad Max would it because that's you know that's not non-PC it would be you know uh, end at like like the the P is less than 0.0 not one end of the bell curve, Max. Yes, uh, psychopathy <laughs> scale or this psychotic psychoticism scale. Oh, did you know I think, right? Yeah. Uh, I was reading about this. You know how I sent you that really racist piece of research? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I think most of his research was funded by the same neo-Nazi foundation oh, really? that funded that research. Oh. It was set up by genuine Nazis in America right. to promote eugenics. And for some reason, the war happened and after the war and they weren't shut down. <laughs> And they had these millions of dollars to spend on science. And a lot of it got spent on, like, I pulled a shoulder doing that. <laughs> I was crumpling up like a dead man. I don't need to do the body acting. <laughs> oh. Okay, there we go. Pun- punchy episode. Yeah, very. <laughs> and one minute and 13. One minute and 13. <laughs> very punchy episode. One hour and 13 minutes. <laughs> yeah, we could try and do a... On the anyway. subject of uh, taking over the world um, and and like crazy science being used to you know uh, control the masses, um, I am going to now talk about my study. So we've kind of been talking about uh, transplants, and it's sort of a related issue because the two studies that I want to talk about are about uh, bionics and and cyborgs and cyberization. That's my attempt at the uh, bionic man noise. Oh, I thought you were doing dubstep. <laughs> oh, acapella dubstep. Man, <laughs> it, it's so good. It Have you seen exist. any of it on the internet? It, I yeah. haven't. Oh, I will look that up. But anyway, so um, <laughs> the title I have... Now you just want to make me dubstep remix this whole episode. <laughs> yes, yes, I do. Uh, can, you, can you do an acapella dubstep remix of the, the jingles between the... Uh, things i can't do an acapella one but I, there is an auto uh dubstep remix tool on the internet oh, that i will God use that's... to make all of the jingles dubstep for this week brilliant uh, <laughs> so the title for this section i have called robot monkey army of doom um and i in my notes i've opened with a question so pinky if you were going to take over the world how would you do it <laughs> uh, and that is the question i put to you pinky <laughs> oh i forgot that i was pinky if i was going to take over the world what would i do um i think media control is very important okay. if you think about it That's... like the reason berlusconi lasted that long oh wait no i'm a mad scientist don't i uh well, also i, I try and... that, that that was slightly distressingly similar in a way to the one that i'd come up with um but go ahead mad scientist oh um, i i i i um I think the brain, the brain, the brain computer interface is actually a big deal. Yeah. Because if you could put something like World of Warcraft or Farmville <laughs> in heads, actually, I'm stealing this right out of a Matthew Stover book. But so what? Um, <laughs> you could basically use it to control the masses anyway. Mm. You want it because you'd make them do what you wanted because it would gain them XP. And it's cheaper than heroin. It's amazing how effective that is. You know, you can get an app uh, for iphone and possibly android as well um which is it's essentially just like um a task to-do list app but when you put tasks into it that you need to do you assign them xp values uh, and and then you level up but, and obviously there are no re- rewards to it but it's that's that's my problem with it's it. like I, life rpg uh, um but, anyway my my the idea that i thought of for uh for like controlling the world would be to put subliminal messaging and mind control messages in lolcats. Um, <laughs> but I then realized the problem by our t-shirts, it's kind of, <laughs> it's kind of flawed because like the Venn diagram of people who spend their days looking at lolcats and major world leaders has a very narrow intersection. I mean, certainly like since Bush right, left office. It? <laughs> um, it's interesting. We both think of the American president as the guy who's going to be doing that. I mean, I was trying to think like, uh, I reckon maybe Kim Jong-il might, might do, but that's possibly because he bears more than a passing resemblance to the cheeseburger cat. I was thinking that, actually. Um, um, I mean, you know, uh, 
you could put subliminal messages in other internet media and then you'd control Italy. That is true. I was, I, uh, yeah, I mean, my oh, question is going media. Be... What are euphemism on that is? <laughs> yeah, that's true. I was going to say, can you think of any world leaders who are likely to enjoy particular internet memes? But you also have to take into account those that already are internet memes themselves. Oh, uh, George Osborne. Not sure if trolling or genuinely can't do anything positive for the economy. <laughs> I suppose there are a lot of uh, the Republican candidates in America who, whilst not exactly enjoying the meme, certainly induce the I don't want to live on this planet anymore yes. Futurama yeah. meme. <laughs> oh, yeah, the Futurama memes are quite applicable. I was just thinking about whether there was anyone that was like Nyan Cat. <laughs> um. No, I mean you. Until yeah. until last week, you could have said it was Berlusconi. Just keeps going and going and going <laughs> and going. Um, anyway, that was very much an aside and not really in any way related. Although, according to my notes, this leads to some psychologists whose research is neither involved in internet memes nor taking over the world. Um, Man, your belaboured segues are getting even more tenuous. <laughs> I know it's great. So anyway, this is a study by uh, Velista et al. And what they did was they implanted a microelectrode array into the primary motor cortex of two macaques. Um, and then basically they connected the monkeys via these arrays to a prehensile robotic claw, which they <laughs> used to steal diamonds from laser-defended high-security vaults. <laughs> oh no, da, wait, da, 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 they used da, 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 it to eat peanuts. <laughs> and this is the really sad thing about this study. They create a bionic army of robot monkeys who just sit around eating peanuts. That's literally all they do. They don't even get them to do more complex tasks. I think they do like a joystick computer game for a while, but basically it's just continually eating peanuts. Hey, I might actually be good at a first-person shooter if I could have a robo-arm to use my <laughs> controller. <laughs> um, so anyway, yeah, like returning to the uh, to the supervillain theme, uh, it's essentially, it's a bit like if Dr. Octopus from Spider-Man used his robot tentacles solely for the purposes of sp- Dealing peanuts um, <laughs> and was a monkey. Um, um, have you seen Roger and Valor just getting in? <laughs> no, I have not. Okay, Alfred Molina, who plays Doctor Octopus in the Spider-Man Two movie, is also in that with Dawn French. They do spend a lot of time eating leftovers because oh, she's one. a food tech teacher. Ah, there is, there is the link. Um, now, obviously, I don't want to disparage these guys uh, for their research because you know they have done very very cool stuff and as yeah I'll come describe, back to me when you've given a monkey a robot yeah, I, as i will describe in a sec uh, when i finish being silly it's uh, it is really good but they haven't used the monkeys to form an elite simian crime fighting unit a bit maybe a kind of ghost in the peanut shell uh, <laughs> oh zing canned <laughs> laughter um uh, when yeah. I was a child, I did childish things, and now I have grown up and I have stopped throwing feces. St. <laughs> Paul monkey. What I thought I'd do was I'd become a, one of those robot monkeys. And <laughs> <laughs> um, then we've got to stop making jokes. It's ages since I've seen any ghost in the shell, and I can't keep up with you. <laughs> we don't have very many listeners, and the like the the subgroup of them who watch Ghost in the Shell is probably very small. But for those of you guys out there who got any of those jokes, we love you. Anyway, this I is a uh, standalone episode, by the way. <laughs> Last week was a complex episode. Anyway, uh, the actual science. Um, so the monkeys had these robot arms. They were uh, the arms were quite advanced. So they had like elbow and shoulder joints, um, which had uh, realistic degrees of movement. So they weren't kind of like completely prehensile, which was important for complex brain motor cortex reasons. And then they had like a grabby claw on the end. Um, the monkeys were able to control the arm with a high degree of accuracy almost immediately after the micro array. So they basically plugged them in as soon as the surgery was done and they were good to go. Um, what they were doing was what the researchers called the continuous feeding, ta- feeding task, um, which is, is literally... I don't find it too much of a task. No, it's, it's being repeatedly presented with peanut on a stick. Um, uh, and I suppose in this respect, uh, it's kind of a good thing that um, they were implanted with bionic limbs because after a few weeks of sitting in a chair eating snacks, they'd probably be too fat to move. <laughs> um, give it, and they were like staring at a screen the whole time as well so this technology actually has immediate applications for like chronic World of Warcraft addiction <laughs> or for people with spinal column damage oh yeah that too um, so their accuracy levels in terms of like being able to grab the peanut was over 60% which 
It's, it, you know, it's what? 100... Over 60%? <laughs> By which I, of course, mean over over 50%. It's like <laughs> the Japanese translation, right? Um, so, yeah, they, they were able to... Which is good, given, you know, it's a bionic limb immediately. Um, well, as, as we often do, well, let's compare it to my performance. <laughs> Getting peanuts and putting them in my mouth. I'm thinking they're doing better there. Mate, what we should do is you should, you should record a video of yourself trying to pick up a peanut <laughs> off a stick and then put it alongside the yeah, one of the monkeys. I was going to put in a video of the monkeys into the show notes. I tried to eat a crisp last night <laughs> and I crushed it because I couldn't adjust my grip strength properly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that you're the one doing the lion's share of the laughing here because we should point out that this is us laughing at someone with a disability for which we are sorry i'm allowed to laugh at myself and i by because only a dyspraxic and i may i may sneak up on another dyspraxic i maintain that i was laughing at you for being flaily before you got diagnosed and therefore it's still okay (laughs) (laughs) yeah back when i just had failed praxia (laughs) or flaily jitterism as a friend of mine called it Um, oh yes which one was that uh, we won't we won't name names um but anyway so would he would he have would he have a hype status in Rome? <laughs> yes, he would. No, I, I'm not going to make the uh, uh, Monty Python quote because it makes the podcast uh, un, uh, NSFW. Anyway, um, we'll work on a uh, Devil's Dictionary <laughs> of psychoanalysts. Um, so you back to the whole. science. I'm putting my my robot fist down. Back to the <laughs> science. Uh, so the monkeys, they were not only able to grab the peanut and bring it to their mouth, but they kind of showed learned behaviours with this arm as well that weren't required for the task. So they would uh, exhibit like compensation movements. If the, the peanut suddenly moved just as they were grabbing for it, the arm would compensate. Um, and if they, if they dropped the peanut on the way back to the mouth, then they would stop moving the arm. Uh, so it showed kind of like real-time control. Um, and uh, one of the monkeys, there were two of them who got implanted. One of them showed that uh, kind of in between trials, he independently moved the robot arm back to his mouth and licked it to get the delicious peanut juice off it, um, which is kind of awesome. Um, so the other, the other key thing to say about this is during the task, the, the monkeys still, they weren't um, kind of, they didn't have their arm, their actual arms removed. Um, they had their arms were perfectly workable um but obviously during the peanut task they had them restrained in little plastic tubes um so one thing that the researchers bring up is that if if it turned out that the monkeys were moving their hands or trying to move their hands in exactly the same way that kind of reduces the validity of it because it suggests that they're not sort of independently using this robot arm they did find that there were movements in the monkey's hands but the interesting thing was that it wasn't the hand you'd expect so the microarray was implanted into their, let me get this right, um, the micro was in the right motor cortex, which obviously controls the left hand, but the monkeys were moving their right hand and the hand movements weren't really consistent with the ones that they should be making for the peanut. So it kind of suggests that they're kind of, they were like, oh, I have three arms now. Awesome. Best day ever. I mean, that's the thing that I find so amazing, because I was worried that you would lose the use of your left arm if it was implanted in your right brain, but that doesn't seem to be the case. And actually, uh, although, once again, this may not be sequentially true, but if you are listening to this, uh, find this podcast wherever it is where I talk about Dr. Cyborg, which is what I'm going to talk about chronologically next, and that actually (laughs) has a bit that speaks directly to that question of what happens if you have uh, kind of augments as my dad called them on the phone last night which was crazy cool because your until, dad is quite geeky he is to be and uh, yeah uh, anyway we'll talk about that when we talk about dr um, cyborg yeah i'd like to point out yes that this week's podcast editing will be inspired by michelle gone <laughs> which i will show the sequence out of order <laughs> that will only make sense once you've re- listened to the complete whole yes so um in scientific parlance what this study is called is extra cool um <laughs> And, as a non-belaboured segue, I guess it would be extra double uber cool if you could do it with humans. Dun, dun, dun. Um, It's a safe segue. Go ahead. Practice safe segue, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) Sorry, I'm just going to write that down as a idea for future outro. (laughs) 
anyway, uh, do, do we want to talk about anything else, Ben? You know, is there any other prejudices in the world? Uh, there are. I mean, there's lots. Uh, the, the final study I'd like to talk about is is uh, looking at religious rather than racial stereotypes and prejudices. Um, Hooray! Just because Let's we haven't we haven't come dangerously close to offending as many people as possible yet yeah you haven't mocked me for having dyspraxia do you want to just quickly do that i definitely mocked you for having oh wait dyspraxia. yeah you did, you did that about a minute ago i'm sorry you disabled um so anyway this is a, a study in 2010 called uh by ritter uh i actually it is a study but i think it was for ritter's master's thesis and yet it ended up on the uh, british psychological station reader's digest um so uh, it's called Gross Gods and Icky Atheism, which immediately makes it sound like a horrible history book. Um, <laughs> yeah. Discussed responses to rejected religious beliefs. Um, so this is, I, I think, is a really cool study. Basically, uh, the first experiment they did, they gave Christian participants two identical glasses of kind of uh, diluted lemon juice to drink, uh, which they then got the participants to rate for their level of disgustingness. Um, between being given these two glasses, they had to copy out sections from particular books. And the books were either the Quran, the Dawkins' The God Delusion, or Webster's Dictionary. Okay. And basically... They didn't include, like, a biblical passage or, a, you know, kind of Christian text. Or... Not in the first experiment. In the okay, second one they did. Sorry. Um, Jump the gun. Yes. Uh, the, so basically, the finding was that they rated the second drink as significantly more disgusting following copying out sections from the Quran or Dawkins, but not the dictionary, which possibly is a, a kind of neat little finding. Uh, and they poss possibly also explains why whenever Richard Dawkins has a debate with a religious person, they always look so disgusted the whole time. Um, so in experiment two, this is the one that I really like. I mean, that's kind of cool in and of itself. Um, in experiment two, uh, they did exactly the same thing, but... Afterwards, they gave them some like uh, some baby wipes, hand wipes to wash their hands with afterwards. And it this prevented the change in disgust ratings for oh. the other uh, the the non Christian uh, text. So in, in the experiment two, they also gave people a Bible passage to read. The weird thing was when they'd read the Bible, they at. Uh, when they had to wash their hands, they actually showed more disgust if they were forced to wash their hands. Um, and the explanation given for this was that it indicated an aversive reaction to physical cleansing after contact with a source of moral purity. That's very interesting. It's really oh, only, interesting. Where was I reading? The, oh, it was, it was in... Actually, this is what I wanted to mention, was I'm reading Nietzsche at the moment mm. as research for my controversial <laughs> next book. Um... <laughs> But uh, there was a bit where he's like, when Christianity came to a certain place, they closed the public baths down mm. because they believed it was kind of more moral to be pure of heart than pure of body. Mm. Uh, and he says it's all like they're too anti-materialist. Mm. Anyway, sorry, I'll come back on Nietzsche and the Antichrist in a sec once you've actually talked about this psychology. All right. So anyway, I mean, the uh, the implication of this is basically the this the link between physical disgust and moral disgust uh, is their exp uh, Ritter's explanation for it. The idea that at a, at a very low level, I mean, we're not talking the, the people in these cases aren't, you know, on the verge of vomiting. Uh, although it, it does raise the rather amusing idea, at least in my mind of any Christians who accidentally wander into the popular science section of a bookshop, fighting the urge to barf all over like bad science by Ben Goldacre or whatever. Um, but it's more it's very like small but still significant effects and the idea that uh there is an a, a, an association between sort of moral disgust um for godless behavior uh or, or godless infidels if you like um and the physical sensation of it um and that this can be tapped into which is really interesting um admittedly it doesn't show uh, Christians in a particularly good light. I think it would have been very interesting to do the reverse to get uh, atheist yeah. part. Or you'd, the problem with testing about religious things is within a if you're black, then you're black, kind of thing. I mean, ob obviously yeah. there is some degree of differentiation, but it's relatively clear cut. 
within even uh, within a, a religious group, there is a vast array of variation, and certainly within people who are non-religious, so either atheist or agnostic, there is a vast range oh, yeah. of variation. So you'd have to be quite specific about your participant groups. But I, I wouldn't be surprised I mean, if you got the, the same effect. So if you got someone who was, you know, uh, a kind of a strong forthright atheist would potentially, I think, feel disgust at reading certain passages from the Bible or the Quran. Um, yeah. And I mean, it would be interesting. I guess the God delusion is quite specifically, it's all about yeah. not God. <clears throat> Whereas I guess some bits of the Bible or the Quran will be more palatable to atheists than others. Mm. I was just trying to think, is there a kind of, you know, if you read What's His Faces, the really like stupid idea, Grayling's The Good Book, mm. which is like a secular Bible thing. Yeah. Um, whether it's like, it's a book with a stated ambition to be atheist, Mm. whether it would show a disgust thing regardless of the passage despite the fact that it might be a nice bit where you're like oh be nice to people but you know just because it was this book with this certain mission yeah whereas you can't really get to any bit of the god delusion that isn't attacking you if you're a religious person i guess mm. i don't know i haven't read it myself as yet um have an aversion to dawkins since i was asked about him in my uh, oxford interview <laughs> um no what i was gonna uh say was uh we did some research on religion ourselves back in the day and we included this religiosity scale i mean it wasn't mm. our d idea um because yeah someone can self-identify without it really impacting their life in a certain way hmm. it does depend on like their behavior as well as their identification i guess and their beliefs as well as their identification yeah so yeah and i expect you might find for someone who is tending towards the kind of liberal not pantheistic whatever the one is where it's more pan-religious mm. then they would probably show a lesser version of this effect than someone who believes that their way is the right way yeah so i guess if you were doing it with kind of religious texts the agnostic would show a less effect than the atheist you would probably Actually, because there's less certainty and so the thing is less of an attack on their i mean mm. it's a bit like the terror management it is thing, it's thing, isn't it a very similar and that is the this particular podcast and the terror management theory episode probably make quite a good like double bill because they are covering very similar material yeah. but it's interesting that it's discussed because you'd think it would be anger what i want to know is if it applies to other things if i read a diatribe by a uh, trekkie mm. that says star wars is terrible because obviously, oh, you know, I'm sure, yeah. I'm sure, disgust. You know, for lesser yeah. identities. Because I definitely get it politically. Mm. I have read things from a really right wing point of view mm. that have really disgusted me. Yeah, uh, and they have disgusted me. Whereas, like, yeah, as I say, I'm reading the Antichrist at the moment, and it actually, I find it reinforcing, makes me feel good that I'm not in the anti-Christian camp. Mm. You know, because I'm sitting there, and Nietzsche says. Christianity is the religion of the weak, the deformed, and all those who should just be exterminated. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> come on, I the good side. You know, it's interesting. Which is I mean, that you're getting in this study. I don't feel disgusted by Nietzsche. I kind of feel exhilarated. Yeah, that's, because he's so extreme. Yeah, I mean, that's you know? that's obviously the case. And uh, you know, you get you get sections of Dawkins where, he, as a, reading yep. it as an atheist, because you know, full disclosure, Tim is a Christian. I'm an atheist. Um, there are sections of Dawkins where I feel kind of embarrassed and kind of like this is not really helping. Yeah. But then again, there's like it's the same with you. There are sections. Oh, there are plenty of yeah uh, Christian. You know, you things. can hear some uh, sort of Southern Baptist preacher yeah. going on about just in an objectionable way, and you can be like, yes, I feel good about being an atheist right now. I actually have in front of me the sections of the that they had to copy out. Ooh, um, I mean, that is interesting. I so uh, the bit from the Quran, I'll, I'll read them out verbatim, I guess. Why not? Because you probably don't know your uh, Quran chapter and verse particularly I've, well. I've read an English translation, but it was a long time ago. It's Surah 47, 1 to 2. Uh, As for those who are bent on denying the truth and on barring others from the path of God, all their good deeds will he let go to waste. Whereas those who have attained faith and do righteous deeds and have come to believe what has been bestowed on high on high on muhammad for it is the truth from their sustainer shall attain god's grace he will efface their past bad deeds and will set their hearts at rest 
Uh, then okay. Dawkins, 2006, chapter 30, well, page 31. I was trying to do that chapter and verse, but it didn't work. <laughs> um, the god of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction. Jealous and proud of it, a petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser, misogynist, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, filicidal, pestilential, megalomaniacal, sadomasochistic, capriciously malevolent bully. Right, so actually what they were measuring was the passages that had the most objectionable language in them. Yeah, because um, there was, you said there was a Christian passage in the second one. What passage was it? Uh, was it like an equally one, like, you know, I am the way, the truth, and the life, something like that, where it's passage quite a... was Romans 5, uh, verse 8 to 10, uh, but God commandeth his love towards us in that, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from rough through him for if when we were enemies we were reconciled by god by the death of his son much more being reconciled we should be saved by his life and just for comparison the preface to the miriam webster dictionary 1997 <laughs> the miriam webster dictionary has been created by a company that has been publishing dictionaries for 150 years it has been edited by an experienced staff of lexicographers who believe it will serve uh, well, those who want a concise and handy guide to the English language of today. Purge the infidel, purge the unclean, death to non-believers. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, the the enemy without, the enemy within, the enemy beyond. Um, <laughs> what I was going to say is just that, like the Quran passage says that there's no point in good deeds unless you are Muslim. Mm -hmm. The Dawkins passage very much says all Abrahamic faith is not just wrong it's morally bad yeah whereas the christianity kind of passage it's not one of those bits that says you know the only way to the father is through jesus mm. it's not one of those as specific so i wouldn't think it's as comparable it's just a bit from like the kind of theology of salvation and then the, obviously the okay the control passage has to be neutral mm. but i just i'm i'm interested by the fact those are competitive bits and whether there would be if there was a more nuanced bit of yeah. either passage i no, i just think it's a really interesting study i think so I th and my reaction to it is i want more research yeah. to kind of clarify it completely sometimes you see an interesting study and you think oh that's brilliant sometimes you think that opens the door to all sorts of ideas also i think potentially a problem with this particular configuration why i think it's important that they test the theory with other participant groups and possibly other sort of permutations of groups be they religious or otherwise the the kind of the the current atheist position is necessarily very much one of kind of negative statements you know there's no there's no god there's no reason to believe in god god is a bad thing all this kind of thing whereas it's much easier to find sort of positive statements in uh religious texts because at least some of it is kind of god is great god is wonderful and all this kind of thing yeah it's not set up in a kind of contrast and that is particularly noticeable most religious in those texts, texts were written in a religious context mm. it wasn't that weird yeah for especially like you know the old testament the new testament but i guess even for the quran okay i'm gonna for what muhammad said let's mm. say the sayings of muhammad which are an adjunct but mm. a part of islam Okay, it was still a time when people were theistic. They might yeah. be polytheistic, or they might be, you know, there were Christians around and Jews around and the rest of it. But it wasn't, like, they weren't having to... He was setting up a lot of statements in contrast to polytheism mm -hmm. or Christianity rather than... So I guess each one has to kind of come out of its own context. But you're right that a lot of atheist texts, unlike... I guess so that's why I'm saying about the Grayling one. I was trying to think of this example, and they're quite hard. Mm -hmm. A lot of them are polemical. Yeah. Because the context necessity. they're in... Mm. Even though, like, most, like, I guess society is more, well, I guess more apathetic than really, mm. I would say, strictly atheistic, agnostic, yeah. or Agreed. religious. They probably end up being kind of just, like, generic theistic or agnostic, but without any kind of behavior based on it. Mm. Which one might argue might be the goal of, mm. you know, a new atheist. I don't know. There's... This is straying away from A being funny or B being psychological. It is, it is interesting, though. It's I mean, I can drag it back at least to psychological stuff when you're asking why disgust, not anger. Oh, yeah. And one I mean, possible explanation for that is I remember uh, studying intergroup emotions and kind of how, which this very much falls into the category of, is what how different pairings of groups depending on their relations with each other, experience emotions towards members of the other group. And one of the theories, which unfortunately, having not prepared it, I can't remember who it was by, we might be able to include this in the show notes, um, 
is this idea that group status very much de- uh, determines the kind of emotions that you'll feel towards another another uh, uh, members of an outgroup. So one particular thing I remember from that is that if you have a competing or you know uh, a combative uh, outgroup, if you're in, if you perceive your group as being of a higher status than them, you will experience disgust towards them you know, because they're inferior. Whereas if your group is uh, inferior, is kind of of a lower status, then you get sort of the more fear and possibly anger, or the anger might have come in somewhere else. So, yeah. Except, I mean, because we've talked about kind of white towards black, white is usually the majority mm. group in these places being studied. Mm. And yet the reaction is usually fear. Yeah, from white towards black. There is, so it is interesting that there's these different relationships. And there are theories which try to sort of develop that further and you get these sort of weird, uh, the kind of like different categories of, of status and um, you talk about like whether they're perceived as sort of being like intellectually on a par or like physically on a par or this kind of thing or whether they're more numerous or whether they're less numerous. But I mean, in, in this specific, specific context that idea that having a higher status of some kind means that you look down on people. I think uh, look down on the outgroup and feel disgust towards them. You could potentially apply that here in principle, at least the idea that Christians will consider themselves of a higher status than atheists by definition almost. Yeah. You kind of other, if you didn't consider yourself, well, I guess there's the kind of persecution complex on any side, but if you don't consider yourself at least kind of morally superior and in terms of access to the truth superior, mm. then there's kind of no point holding that belief. Yeah. As soon as it dropped below the other one, you'd say, oh, well, I have to switch. Yeah. I guess. Um, one thing I was going to say was about, uh, there's a study that I read, for, again, from the BPS Research Digest, uh, which is a good thing to subscribe to, although I think I mostly save them away and say, oh, I'll look at these someday, <laughs> um, is that showering or other cleaning makes you feel morally superior, mm. makes you more judgmental. So there's clearly something about morality and cleanliness yeah. all tied together. Um, and I was thinking about the asymmetry of corruption, which is this another other study, right? If I drop a single drop of water into a glass of blood, mm. will you drink it? Mm. But in the same way, if I drop a single drop of blood into a glass of water, you probably won't drink it too. Yeah. One drop of blood can d- contaminate a whole thing of water but a single drop of water can't purify a whole glass of blood Mm. and i guess this thing you've shown that they're wiping their hands makes them feel better Mm. that there's clearly something about cleanliness restoring to a certain extent Mm. a level of moral judgment but it might well be that so that's that seems equivalent that just copying out one passage can be cleansed by one wash of the hands yeah but if you somehow manage to get them to sit there and copy out the whole of Mm. the book contrary to their beliefs they might need a bit more than a hand wipe before they felt <laughs> undisgusted possibly that's just my theory on that yeah no it's an interesting one you've got to balance things i need to find out where ritter is and we can send him this podcast and be like do oh, this yeah. stuff <laughs> um okay random random like uh, intersection of stories there. There is a neuroscience textbook that uh, we possibly both read in our undergraduate, which... Is it um, really likely that I read it? Well, likely enough that I remember this story from it. I hope I can remember enough of the details to make this not sound like the ramblings of a madman. Um, but basically... <laughs> Are you sure this, you don't face, yeah? <laughs> um, the textbook was, you know, a standard neuroscience textbook, but it had really good, like, inserts in it of, like, uh, cool or weird or interesting applications of the stuff it was talking about because neuroscience can be quite dry except well i mean it's kind of juicy but then like it, it soggy, takes but... it takes proper cooking and that's what yeah. we're here for yeah uh, as as um sperry learned to his disadvantage <laughs> but um uh yeah so there was uh, it was talking about um visual fields and the, the visual pathways from you know the eyes to the brain and the aside was about david and goliath Oh, right. Yeah. Because it was a a neurological explanation for how David beat Goliath. The idea was that Goliath would have had a form of uh, giantism, gigantism, which was like pulmonary, don't know, pituitary something. Uh, Oh, hyper, hypertrophy, something like that. 
something. I mean, like I have that. heard anyway, this it was theory. A, a pituitary deficit, which causes or like change, which causes giant, you know, giantism. Yeah. Um, and one of the side effects of it is that it causes pressure on a particular section of the visual pathways from the eye to the brain, yeah. which causes tunnel vision. So people with this pituitary um, growth defect uh, tend to experience quite severe tunnel vision. And so his argument was that David was just, you know, a relatively short man and uh, Goliath had tunnel vision. So when David ran up to him, he couldn't see him and he just like clocked him in the chin with the, uh, the old, the old one, two slingshot. Yeah. I mean, I have heard that theory and I think it's interesting. Of course, hmm. I've heard another theory that says, do you know how fast a stone comes out of a sling? Oh, Basically, yeah, that... it was a gun versus a sword fight. Yeah, that that is the other thing that, yeah, it was bring, bringing a club to a slingshot fight. Yeah. Um, okay, certainly my high school. Mm. The appropriate way to be clever as a boy was to do so by talent and no effort. Whereas yeah. as a girl, it was all about having effort and moderate talent. And this is probably why you see the sort of um, divergent distributions between male and female performance in like almost every context you get this uh, separation so girls will have it, it on terms of like exam scores or anything they will have like a nice neat normal distribution which is quite tight around the mean um, so which will have a higher mean than boys generally oh, yeah. as in girls will on average do better than boys but the like the the spread of uh results for boys will be much much wider even to the extent that you'll get like almost like throwing in stats terms a binomial distribution so you get lots and lots of very very clever boys and then lots and lots of very very stupid boys and there's much less of this kind of clustering around the average which is indicative of like you either being kind of a genius or a moron and in neither case is putting any effort in yeah i mean boys have followed my philosophy tim can you relate to that at all <laughs> I, compared to our fellow female students, I imagine that me and Ben worked less. It I seemed. It's safe to say. But it's oh, not really a fair comparison in some senses because there are a lot more women than men mm. at, uh, in psychology in general, even at Oxford, which is quite a male-dominated environment. Yeah. Um, so uh, while we're talking about the weird and wonderful, I think you have something weird and wonderful to talk about, don't you, Ben? Is it EEG? Uh, it, what, what's, what's the example? I don't know. I have no idea what you what you think I'm about to talk about now. <laughs> well, you said EG. That's right. I'm being obtuse and Ben is not realising it. <laughs> yes, it is. EEG. I'm just... Oh, I'm so lost. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Psychomedia podcast. Um, yeah, so... That's my line. So I, if you're thinking I, that you're me <laughs> and I'm you, then we're really stuck. Um... Right, I'm, I'm just going to assume that Tim has finished with TMS and um, talk about... Sorry, the... my appropriate conclusions bit has been knocked out by TMS. <laughs> Blame it for it's, everything. It's a recurring and obvious joke. I'm guessing you can't use a computer while you're doing TMS. <laughs> Presumably. Um, uh, incidentally, I do, I do wonder what the fMRI of bleeding would look like. Because fMRI looks at blood flow. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, you could do really cool things with uh, it, like... Um, there was one we were learning about the other day. What you do is you uh, you uh, fire a magnetic gradient across the neck in like a slice, right? So that all blood passing up the um, uh, the blood vessels and the major arteries in the neck becomes uh, the protons in that blood become uh, excited. So then you you can track the blood flowing into the brain, and if you do do it at different stages you can get these wonderful like diffusion patterns where you get like a 3d image of all the blood vessels going through the brain it's really cool that's awesome i just put the dexter new dexter book on my christmas list what's their excuse for doing that much stuff with blood <laughs> yeah we have encountered fourier analysis before basically it's a way of extracting um sine waves or the components of a particular like signal and you extract different frequencies from it um, using the power of maths um, it's crushingly boring or at least it was crushingly boring when we first learned about it when I have subsequently learned about it it's actually quite interesting it contains like imaginary numbers and cool stuff um, I find it interesting when it comes to um, music and sound but mm. 
less so with anything else. The problem is, uh, you know, when you're talking about frequency and stuff, it's quite easy to picture how frequency and, and signals and waves work in like the musical domain, because, you know, it's the, it's the ziggly zaggly line. It becomes difficult when you start, start talking about spatial frequency because you add another yeah. dimension and your brain has difficulty coping with that. Um, but anyway, that's that I, the one with the Sonic the Hedgehog protein, right? That I is vaguely remember. Sonic. It, I think it's just These Sonic Hedgehogs rather than Sonic oh, really? Hedgehog. But um, apparently there are lots of hedgehogs, um, and there's just one that happens to be the Sonic Hedgehog. Uh, Shadow, Metal Sonic, Robo Sonic. Exactly. Uh, Knuckles. Well, there are. Yeah. No, Knuckles is an echidna. Is he echidna? Oh yeah. Yeah. He is. Um, and Tails is a fox. Anyway, we're getting distracted. Although Tails is a squirrel. You're insane. How is Tails a squirrel? He's got he's orange with like a like a white bit at the end of his tail. I swear that he is a squirrel. I'm I, looking I, it up right now. You Miles do that. Miles Tails Prower, which is his full name. <laughs> oh dear. Okay. You just gained slash lost many nerd points. Um, anyway, <laughs> well, he's t- a deuter antagonist. Wait, a Juta what? <laughs> Character, Juta Agonist. Wow, I'm using that word to talk about us for the rest of... <laughs> oh, damn it. Okay, let's, uh, let's click off Wikipedia because I'm wrong. Is he a fox? Yeah. That's the second time I've won an argument. Brilliant. Jennifer Aniston and Tails. I'm <laughs> so well. Um, anyway, she has yes. Tails, doesn't she? <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. Um, other cool things that can be done... Um, it's shown the role of the broker's area in infants perceiving speech before they're able to produce it. Uh, that's Imada et al. 2006, if you're interested. And they found this increasing inferior frontal activation as the child develops. And the key one of uh, the MEG and the other one I'm briefly going to mention, uh, NRIR. No, NRRI is... Uh, no, NIRI? N- oh, what? Yeah. <laughs> sorry i'm i'm clearly i'm stretching into the dyslexic zone this morning um, <laughs> that was a really bad 80s tv show <laughs> uh yeah the, the mystery every week was usually because of a misspelt sign um <laughs> nevertheless um yeah basically you have been listening to psychomedia a welcome to the madness production for the internet this week's episode was brought to you in association with Rita et al.'s new lemon-soaked moral purity hand wipes. Just one quick wipe can wash away the filth of the infidel, leaving your hands untainted by moral turpitude. Wash your hands of those niggling doubts today. Warning, do not use moral purity hand wipes directly after Bible reading. Side effects may include vomiting, dogmatism, and existential crisis. If uses results in a rash, seek immediate theological attention to prevent apostasy. Nice.